Hi, my name is Bob Sander, and I'm a professional storyteller. For over 30 years, my repertoire has included a group of personal narrative stories. Some of these are childhood memories, stories lived when, well, basically when I was a knucklehead in training, so to speak. Other stories come from my college student era, and still others date from my time as a beginner parent. And you know, by then I was kind of a professional knucklehead. While I do tell personal tales that are, well, either too risque or too this or too that to include here, you know, if you come to dinner some night, we'll eat and drink and I'll, I'll spill the beans on all those stories. But this collection, this bunch makes the cut. So I hope you enjoy them. And as for truthfulness, well, just know that these stories are absolutely 100% as true as I can make them. Enjoy. Once, during the year that my father turned 80 years old, he asked me, uh, you still do that thing you do? I mean, for work? Yeah. Storytelling? Yeah. Well, I do. Yeah, I sh sure I do. Been doing it for 20 years. Oh. Who, who do you tell to? I tell about anyone who will hire me. Uh, businesses, uh, libraries, schools. Schools? Yeah, lots of schools. Hmm. Oh, well. And the kids, uh, do they listen to you? Well, yeah, they love to hear stories. Well, when you finish telling your stories, they uh, ever ask you questions? Sometimes. Why? Like what questions they ask? Things like, how old am I? And am I married? Do I have kids? Things like that. What do you want to know for? They ever want to know when you first started telling stories? Sometimes, yeah, occasionally. What do you tell them? Well, I tell them the truth. I started telling stories in the early 1980s. Oh, no, 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 that's not right. What do, you, what do you mean it's not right? Well, he proceeded to set me straight on the matter. And the result of that little conversation was this story that I'm about to tell you. And I always start it by asking a question to my audience. I'll say, think back, when you were a kid, what was your favorite toy? Now, when I ask older listeners, uh, sometimes I'll get answers like toy trucks, Barbie dolls, bowling balls even, an easy-bake oven, a chemistry set, the magic eight ball seems to come up quite a bit, but, you know, that kind of thing. Now, when I ask today's kids that same question, most of them are pretty quick to list their favorite electronic games and devices. And with a little more guidance, uh, they get the drift and they do a, a kind of a list of actual toys. But they're always stunned to learn that my own favorite childhood toy was a cardboard box. And specifically, any big box large enough to get inside of. 
And of course, the best of these was any cardboard box big enough for me and several other kids to get inside of. And the best of these was the king of cardboard, the refrigerator box. So, one time a bunch of us took a refrigerator box to a neighbor boy's backyard. Now that yard descended in a series of inclines and drop-offs until it just came to a sudden end down near the, uh, this little creek that flowed through their backyard. Well, eight or nine of us little tiny kids, we could fit in that box at the same time. So, of course, we, f we tried to put uh, maybe about 11 in that box. Now, one of us, uh, Big Jimmy, he never got inside with us because we needed him. We needed him elsewhere. He was the only one of us big enough to overcome inertia and get the box to rolling down the hill. Later, Big Jimmy would be shaving a full beard in the fifth grade. I don't know how many years Big Jimmy had spent in first, second, third grade, and so on, but, well, he didn't mind not getting inside the box. To him, it was a lot more fun to be the one that was launching us into what looked like certain doom. If I had to guess, I'd say he grew up to become a great master sergeant. Do it, Big Jimmy. Come on. Do it. Do it now. Come on. So we were uh, 11 little squished fish sandwiched in the cardboard, and Big Jimmy was our ticket to trouble. His bulgy muscles were more than equal to the task. He squatted, he gripped, and he flipped that box. It flew end over end, and Big Jimmy laughed in perfect sadistic joy. Meanwhile, we pitched downhill at a dizzying speed, smashing into one another like rocks clattering in a pop can. Oh, my God! Help! Make it stop! We screamed with the same conviction as when we pleaded for Big Jimmy to fling us down the hill seconds earlier. But once we got started, the gathering momentum, it made our no-wheeled vehicle impossible to stop. Inside the box, bad things began to happen right away. Somebody's elbow convinced Kevin's tooth to come out of his mouth. It had been dangling by a thread anyway, and it was way too gross to look at much longer anyway. Blood spurted out of his mouth like oil from a Texas gusher. Pants ripped, belts fell off. Uh, we all reached various stages of undress. Buttons popped, shirts tore, shoes fell away almost immediately. A trail of tears and spit and blood and dirt and errant articles of clothing excreted out of the box all the way down the hill. Up above, Big Jimmy danced on one foot and clapped his hands together. He laughed so hard he cried and wet himself. This, for him, was a work of art, and he had created it, sort of. Splat! Our cascade of forward somersaults finally ended. We came to rest in the creek. It was, I don't know, maybe six inches deep. It took full five minutes to get ourselves disentangled and crawl out. Steve said we were stuck together as tight as Gordo's knot. This was a line from one of his classic comics. I think he mangled it. We never understood this less-than-perfect reference. He 
probably didn't either. We looked ourselves over. We were sniveling. We were wet, dirt-smeared, half-dressed, hair akimbo, slobbery, bloody, shoeless. What else was there to say? Let's do it again. <sighs> For those days of cardboard. Well, one day my dad introduced me to yet another cardboard box, and now our story proper begins. Bobby, come out here in the driveway. See what I've got? Now, something was sticking out of the back of our family car. From the picture window, I saw the open trunk. It was roped to the bumper. I couldn't see what the rope held in. I ran out to see if he had somehow fit a Sherman tank in there. Of course, I knew a Sherman tank was probably bigger than the car itself, but I thought maybe he'd located a miniature version. You know, a kid can hope, right? See? Oh, Dad, oh, man, this is great. A cardboard box. No, 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 no. Look at the picture. Look at the picture on the side of the box. It shows what's inside. And I looked. And there was a picture of somebody's living room and a family, mother, father, son, and daughter. They were all smiling like idiots, the way no one in real life ever actually smiles. Evidently, the thing that made them smile like lunatics was the thing they were all staring at and adoring. Yep, it was a television. What do you think? Is it a television? It is. It's ours to keep. How about that? Oh, God. Great. Dad, can I have the box? This was our first TV. Some of our neighbors already had them, of course. I mean, I'd seen TV. Some nights we'd go and visit and watch shows with them. My dad said, well, I'm researching brands before we buy, which was a code, I think, for I'm saving up. Anyway, we never had one. Never did until suddenly there it was. TV is not a toy, is it? Nor is it really play. You don't do anything with it. TV just wants kids to make their parents buy stuff. Now, to accomplish this, of course, TV needs to capture kids' attention the way the best play does naturally. Free play, that is. Random, unstructured, imaginative, inventive. That can completely absorb and occupy a kid for hours. If only that could be bottled and sold. That would be the marketer's dream. Now, while television didn't make us inventive or imaginative, it did occupy us just for hours and hours. I'm talking about eventually. At first, it would not do that. It could not do that. Couldn't accomplish that goal. Early television was so crude. We just, at our house anyway, there was lots of static picture problems going sideways, going up and down. There was, oh, I think they called it snow, and so-so programming. I was anything but entranced. I had been read to as a little one. Later on my own, uh, played with toys and imaginary friends, and real neighborhood buddies, and, and TV just couldn't measure up, at least not yet. Now, little by little, uh, the programming changed, and they kind of got the bugs worked out. But in the meantime, it took some doing to, kid, to get a kid hooked on TV. When Dad unloaded our new set, we tried it out. Of course, I got inside the now empty box with a pillow and some graham crackers and a glass of milk. What better way to watch TV? 
Now, the cabinet of that television was pretty big. It was about the size of a, like a gas oven. It was made of handsome, polished wood. The picture tube was really small, though uh, that was not much bigger than, say, our toaster uh, was tall and wide. My dad turned it on. Everything was manual on and off, of course. You had to grasp this fist-sized tan on and off dial. It was on the front of the set, and you flicked it to the right. It made a loud snap, and it let you know that it was turned on because nothing else indicated that it was on. No picture, no sound, no nothing. My dad said, TV always takes a while to warm up. And he left the room on some brief task. Nope, nothing to see during warm-up time on 1950s TV. Nothing on the screen, that is. But around the back of that set, inscrutable noises beckoned me. I crawled out of my little boxy lair, and I stared into the guts of that TV. There were some openings back there to look in. Any number of vacuum tubes glowed with irresistible allure. Wires snaked to and fro like strands of electrical spaghetti. It was more than I could stand. I had to have one of those things. I just had to stick my hand in there and examine one of those gleaming glass wonders. Reaching into hazardous places was, it was kind of a childhood theme I was developing. We ended up at the hospital several times. Scored with music, my antics might even have made good fodder for a TV show. Something like uh, the emergency room kids, big moments of fun, or I don't know, something like that. Oh, my God! My dad pulled me rudely away from the magic lands of diodes and capacitors and electrocution. I leave the room for two seconds, and you're figuring out a new way to go to the hospital. Just get back in your box. Well, I complied with that gladly. It looked like good insulation from parental ire. Decades later, it occurred to me what a great line that was. I certainly thought about using it with my own kids. Alas, some child-rearing disciplines just don't outlive their decade of origin— Get back in your box. You know, that just doesn't fit the millennial era, right? <sighs> oh, well. So the TV set finally warmed up, but there was so much snow. I think that's what they call that inscrutable stuff across the screen. Neither one of us could make heads or tails out of what was going on. So we turned it off, and Dad went back to bed. He worked nights. He needed his daytime sleep. I stayed in my box where I was as happy as a bug for many imaginative hours, and the TV sat blank over in the corner. For my first 12 years, my dad worked at the big downtown U.S. post office building here in Indianapolis on Ohio Street. He started work, I think, around 10 o'clock at night, and I don't believe he finished till around 5 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes my mom took him to work, and, she, and then she could keep our one car at home. On those days, I'd go with her to pick him up sometimes. I was sleepy, but I was excited. I didn't get to see very much less play with my dad. Not often. As soon as we got home, my mother would say, Shh, quiet. Your dad's going to sleep. He needs his rest. Yeah, but nope. But I'm, nope. Well, he and I, no, you're not. And then he'd go off to sleep. Except 
every once in a while, he'd go against the current, and it'd be like this. No, 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 it's all right, Francis. Leave the boy with me. You and Marcella drive on down there to, to, to Seymour, where they got that nice meat market you like. Go down, stock up. You, you two make a day of it. I'll just sleep a little later in the day when you all get back. Bobby and I are going to be fine. You won't be fine. He won't eat. Well, he'll eat. No, he won't. I'm just saying. You'll have a H of a time trying to get food down him. My mom used uh, a lot of single letters. I assume she did this to help me learn the alphabet early. Well, we're going to do just fine. I will make him daddy eggs. Oh, forget about that, whatever that is. He doesn't like eggs. He won't eat a single bite. Well, he will for me. He has before. My mother looked shocked. Is that true? Did, did you eat eggs for your dad? My mother always said, tell the truth because truth is best. Well... I always thought this injunction was kind of unfamiliar and against a kid's natural inclination, but I tried it out, and I nodded yes. It was true. She scowled at me angry. I made a quick mental note about truth. How come you eat eggs for your dad but not for me? I can't tell. What do you mean? You Why not? It's a secret. A sip. She looked at my dad. He had that foolish, <laughs> don't ask me, smile on his face. Kind of a generic dad thing. Well, have a great day. Don't starve. And don't end up in the hospital. And whoosh. She stomped out the door like a herd of turtles. Herd of turtles. That was one of her favorite expressions in those days. It was kind of a humorous phrase. It was nearly lost on me. Turtles in herds, speedy turtles. I just didn't get that. But her occasional delight in sometimes inverting the letters a turd of hurdles, that was not lost on me. Then again, kids always learn the really useful stuff first, right? Bobby, I know you want us to play together, said my dad, and we will, but not till after breakfast, okay? Well, that suited me just fine, and I said so. So, on to breakfast. Truly, I'd never yet eaten any egg that my mother cooked, but my dad's? Oh, man. I ate them with abandon and gusto and asked for more. He soft-boiled the eggs. Actually, I realize now as an adult, they were a little too soft. Even the white part was still viscous and runny. Then he crumpled bits of stale bread made into toast on top. None of that really mattered, though, once he had added the secret ingredient. Nearly a half a cup of sugar. Now remember, this recipe is a secret I learned it in Africa during the war. No tell anybody, right? Got that? Okay. Which seemed to me a pity. I thought the secret might be applied to lots of other meals to really good advantage. Spinach or, or, or liver, for example. Especially your mom. Don't tell your mom, right? Yep. Can I have some more? Uh, why not? In the kitchen? My mom was all business. My dad, on the other hand... He'd whistle or sing while he cooked. He'd sing H-A-R-R-I-G-A-N spells Harrigan. Harrigan. I was supposed to, you know, chirp that out loud. I'd kind of been coached to say that. Well, after breakfast, we'd play for a little while, as promised, and mostly it was kind of that parental wrestling that you do with little kids. I always subdued my great big full-grown father with no problem. 
I mean, this greatly astonished me for the longest time. And then I had kids of my own, and I was astonished all over again at how easily they subdued me and how willing I was to let them do it. On the other hand, parents all have an ace in the hole. Just when it seemed you've got them pinned, they will play that most unfair card. They will tickle you, and no child can withstand that for very long. Okay, okay, Dad, stop, stop, I give. All right. Wait, are, are you really stopping? Well, you said to. Yeah, but look, I got work to do in the basement now for a while. Why don't you get in your box? Watch TV for a while, all right? Uh, we'll play some more when I quit for lunch. Okay. Oh, Bobby, don't come down to the basement. I got tools and stuff scattered all over the place. I don't want you to get hurt, all right? Okay. Now our little two-bedroom, one-bath home had an unfinished full basement. It was rougher than a cob. It was just virtually unusable. Now, like many of the neighbors, my dad was doing what they all said was called finishing it off, putting in nice acoustic ceiling tiles, wood paneling on the walls. In our case, a built-in bar and a back bar and ceramic tiles on the floor. It was a big job. It was a big job. Went on for several years, as I recall. He worked on it in his free time or on days like this when he shorted himself on sleep. Construction debris and tools were definitely all over the place down there. Now, you might guess that I wanted to go down and investigate. And the truth is, I'd already been and done a few weeks earlier. Now, at that time in the basement's half-light, I definitely saw several spiders, big spiders, maybe wolf spiders. I might have seen a millipede. I convinced myself that a snake dangled from the floor joist just above my head as I went down the stairs. Of course, it might have been the on-off string that hung from the ceiling light, but snakes are well known for dangling on strings just like that. No need to take any chances, so I thought. I never went back down, nor did I want to. So Dad and I tried out the TV again. I flipped the dial. I waited for it to warm up. Must have been a good day for atmospherics. You could actually see the picture. And then I took up my position in the box. Now what happened next? It wasn't really my fault. I was kind of like an innocent bystander. It was like being a witness to an accident caused by someone else who only looked like me and occupied the same space. On television, a cartoon character, it was a rabbit, a rabbit, was juggling several African lions. Now, this was all the more remarkable by the fact that all these lions were asleep the whole time, and they did not wake up. Oh, man, this just impressed me to no end. I remember I emerged from my box to gape and stare and pantomime that juggling motion. Now, my mom could call me 20 times, and if I didn't answer, she might not get mad ever. Then again, on some different day, if you didn't answer the first time, she might get angry. You just never knew. But my dad was kind of predictable. Bobby! See, you got three shots at this. First time, that was to get your attention. The second time is to get you moving. The third time, buddy, you better be there or at least answer. Bobby! You did hear that exclamation mark, you know. 
how the inflection goes up on the second syllable. And you know what that means, right? All parents do this. But still, I did not respond. I'll tell you why. I felt like I had a pretty good reason to risk my father's ratcheting voice and growing impatience. On the screen, Mr. Cartoon Rabbit, it was not Bugs Bunny, by the way, had thrown these lions far, far up into the sky. Amazing. Why do such a thing? I just had to find out. So I stood there a little longer. Oh, my God. Here was the answer. He needed a drink of water. So while the lions flew and floated in the air, he went to get a drink. Oh, and he did drink. He just drank and drank. And then he cleaned and polished the glass and set it down, and he turned around just in time. Just like that, he caught those lions coming down one by one, set them back into the juggling arc again. It was just extraordinary. Bobby! I'm coming, Dad. I'm coming. In ten quick steps, I stood at the top of the basement steps. I looked down at the maw of that darkened chasm that was our basement. I could not see my dad, but his voice floated up. Uh, Bobby, Daddy forgot to bring tiles down to the basement. They're on the kitchen counter. Do you see them? Yep, there they were. I told him I saw them. Now that whole stack's too big. You're just a little fella. Just bring down four or five. That'd be good. Could you do that for Daddy? Irony is essentially invisible to little kids. For example, my dad always kidded the other neighborhood men about how hard and how manic and how unrelenting they did their yard work, their housework, and all like such. Leon's killing snakes again, he'd say. He was describing how vigorously Leon used a rake or a garden hoe. Simpler still, he'd see a neighbor hard at it and yell out, Mush! And then, crack an invisible whip over his head. Now, as an adult, I know exactly. My dad was just as driven as any one of them. Worked the exact same way. Now, on the day in question, that same drive was his undoing. He'd, you know that phrase, painted himself into a corner? Well, it wasn't rhetorical. It wasn't figurative. He was literally trapped in a corner, but not by paint. It was mastic. He had backed far into the corner, and there was a huge swath of black, gooey, sticky, tarry mastic on the floor. In his rush to spread that goo, he paid no attention to the fact that he was on the wall side of the, uh, that adhesive. And that gluey area he had spread out was too large to step over. He at least needed to lay a couple tiles to walk on just to get out of the corner. And the tiles were in the kitchen. Now, all this is to say he needed to depend on a five-year-old with an overactive imagination who'd just emerged from a cardboard box to get him out of his predicament. More's the pity. No problem, Dad, I answered. Actually, there were two problems. One, I was not happy to face the basement creatures again, real or imagined. And two, I did not think of myself as a little fella. I was taller than two friends my same age. It occurred to me, my dad was so busy on his days off, and he slept so much the rest of the time, he had not noticed how much I had grown. Perhaps he needed to see what I was capable of. 
Hence, my urge to please overcame my fear of those monsters. I was half a head taller than the kitchen counter. I sized up the tiles. If tiles could see, we would have been eye to eye. Like so many objects that dealt me trouble, they looked totally innocent. I extended my arms, grasped the bottom edges of the, the tile on the very bottom of the stack, and I pulled it all toward my chest. Now, when the, when the whole pile tipped and fell forward off the counter, it was all I could do to just hang on to it, just barely hold on to it. I gathered it close to my middle, and immediately my trembling fingers started to slip. I was going to have to do this quickly before I lost my grip entirely. I made it over to the top of the stairs, and you know that bottom falling out of your stomach feeling that warns you when something unpleasant and probably inescapable is just getting ready to happen? You feel it when you're approaching the dentist's chair, the top of a roller coaster, when you're getting ready to throw up. I started to get that feeling. Figured I had about 15 seconds left. Bobby, you got those tiles? Yeah. The word squeezed out of me like the last goo from a tube of toothpaste. My legs shook. There was no way I was going to make it downstairs, and I couldn't put the tiles down without crushing my fingers, and I didn't want to ask for help. And even if I did, there wasn't time for my dad to get there. Isn't it funny how our subconscious minds are there for us? working on problems, trying to find solutions quietly and behind the scenes. I notice this with names I try to remember or crossword puzzle questions that I can't answer. You stop trying, maybe you're otherwise occupied, and suddenly, unbidden, out of the blue, the answer just pops into your mind. And this was one of those occasions. Juggle like a rabbit. There it was, into my ear. It's like a little magical answer to my dilemma. And I thought, you know, if a humble rabbit could juggle African lions, sheesh, how hard could this possibly be? Well, I concentrated all of my remaining strength into my extremities. In an act of will, my hands gripped like a bench vice. My legs became coil springs. I readied for the, for the release. Bobby, are you coming? Yeah, right? Now, And the springs uncoiled, and my arms heaved, and the tiles flew aloft. So far, so good. The next part of my plan was this. Run down to the bottom of the stairs and catch each tile one at a time as they came down. Man, I could just see the look of pride on my dad's face. And, uh, of course, that's when I got to learn an important life lesson, which is this. On television, anything can happen. And in real life, it doesn't work that way. Before I could lift my foot to even take the first step, tiles were already crashing, one after another, and they were hitting onto that hard concrete floor, smash, wham, boom, crash. Not every ceramic product can shatter into that many pieces. It was amazing. Even in my distress, I couldn't help but admire how explosive our particular tiles were. Meanwhile, my father reacted like any parent in this situation. He was convinced something terrible had happened to his kid. What else could have caused such a calamity? 
He charged out of that sticky corner, completely oblivious to that sea of mastic. And it was not only sticky, it was slippery, and he fell right away. Now, by the time I made it downstairs where he crouched, struggling to get back to his feet, his uh, appearance had changed. His string T-shirt was glommed in this black goo. Long strands of it trailed up his face. They hung from his glasses. They looked to be caught in his armpit hair. He was not happy. You okay? He was talking nearly indecipherable. I think it was a question. You okay? I sure am. I chirped. I tried hard not to laugh. He looked pretty funny. What happened? The tiles broke. Like all kids, I too was born with this kind of affinity for the passive voice. It's likely a survival mechanism inherited from our prehistoric kid ancestors. I can see they broke. How did it happen? I threw them. I was speaking unnaturally loud. It was all very exciting. You what? I threw them in the air. On purpose? Yeah. For being so big and ungainly, adults are surprisingly fast. Just like that, he was up and he was holding me with both hands in midair. Now, any of his facial skin, just a small bit, that had managed to escape a coating of mastic glowed with an unnatural red aura. There'd better be a good reason for this. Well, my mother's command to tell the truth flitted through my mind. Yet... Even as a kid, you learn pretty early there's moments when the unvarnished truth is just not going to be your friend. And besides, the juggling rabbit story, that was starting to sound incomprehensible even to me. I could just imagine how my already fuming dad would take it. And so I decided to tell a version of the truth, the truth as it should have been. Dad, it was not my fault. There were spiders all over the top step and a snake. There was a snake. It was, it was on the light string. It was hanging on the light string. And I just kept going. Evidently, I was just talking and talking and talking. He listened to me wind out an obviously fabricated whopper for two or three minutes. Later, he told me that unintentionally, unintentionally, he noticed that his shoulders were starting to relax. And his jaw unclenched. He put me down. Me, I'm still blabbering, him still listening. And he realized his, his anger was just gone. He smiled a little bit, and at some point he said, <clears throat> Stop talking. Daddy can't listen to any more right now. Go back upstairs. Watch some more TV. I'm going to clean up. You got a perfectly good box. Go get in it. Which was true. There was no place I'd rather be at that moment. Okay, Dad. Bobby? Yeah, Dad? Uh... All this is kind of like a man thing. Likely your mother would not understand. Suppose this be our secret, all right? Like the eggs? Yeah, just like the eggs. Okay, Dad. Well, it was a long time later, like decades, and my dad helped me remember this story as we put all those little pieces back together again, like reconstructing a broken floor tile. And when he said, when those kids that you work with, when they want to know, when did you start telling stories? Now, don't you be telling them 10 or 15 or even 20 years ago, because that's not right. You tell them the truth. <laughs>
It was more likely 50 years ago by my reckoning, and it saved you from getting your britches warmed. I can see now he was right. Truth is best. So let me leave you with this admonishment. Always tell the truth, or at least mm, your best version of it. And that's the end of that story.